Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, some of the Twinkle EYFS team, special guest speakers and other early years practitioners as we talk honestly about our experiences. Whether you're listening for CPD, on your commute or to help you relax, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello lovely listeners, it's Shana here from the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast, here with an absolute cracker of an episode for you today. I think it's come at a really, really good time for quite a lot of us, as it's October half term, either right now or it's coming up. And as I'm sure you would agree, I think this first half term of the academic year, if you're working in a school, is quite challenging, especially for the early years practitioners and teachers. And at this point, when you get to that first half term break, you are absolutely feeling it. Well, have I got the guest for you? I think this might be one of my favourite episodes yet. I have got the wonderful Charlie Burley talking with me today, and he's the teacher health coach. He's going to teach us how to beat that half-term burnout. And honestly, I've picked up some really amazing tips that's going to help me about how to get through this season and beat that burnout before we get there. So before we step into that, we're going to do a fun little segment. Keep it lighthearted at the beginning of the episode. Rupee asked in our Early Years Practitioners Facebook group, which celebrity would you choose to do story time with your class? Let's have a look at the answers. Right. Okay. We've got about 49 comments here. Let's see what people say. Okay. First one, Tom Hardy. Yep. Top of my list as well. Every time he comes on CBB's bedtime stories, I, you know what? I don't even have any children, but I watch it. Oh, Robbie Williams is another one. Interesting. The Rock. Okay. Uh, if he was still alive, Rick Mail. His Jack and Nori reading was the best thing ever. I agree. Rick Mail's Jack and Nori was absolutely comedy genius. He's great. Another one for Robbie Williams. Um, oh, David Tennant, like that. A bit of a Doctor Who, nice. Tom Hardy again. Tom Hardy again. Tom Hardy again. Okay, yeah, there's a running theme here, guys. I'm not sure if you've picked that up already. Uh, Idris Elba, Johnny Depp, nice. Reggae John Page, okay. Miriam Margulies. Now that would be hilarious, right? Risky, but hilarious. She is so funny. Michael Rosen, yes. Ryan Reynolds, another one I agree with that one. Oh, Morgan Freeman, yes. The voice of God himself in Bruce Almighty. What a cracking story time that would be. Oh, I like this comment. Fluella Benjamin and Michael Rosen for the kids. Aidan Turner and Orlando Bloom for the teachers. Ah, I like it. I like that thinking. Uh, Lewis Capaldi, very good. Patrick Dempsey, Gary Barlow again. I'm definitely seeing a theme of our choices here about what draws us to the people we're going to be reading these stories with. Uh, Stephen Fry, another cracker. He's a great storyteller. Uh, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. Chris Hemsworth, yeah. Jeremy Renner, yeah. Tom Hardy, another one, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, Lisa Kudrow, Phoebe from Friends. That would be great. Eddie Izzard. I agree. That would be an absolutely cracking idea for a storyteller. David Attenborough. I also agree. Amazing. Oh, Benny Connolly. Another cracker here. You guys are coming up with some great ones. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Bradley Cooper, Jason Momoa. Yeah, a little superhero theme going on here. And uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, we're finishing with Tom Hardy. Surprise, surprise. But some cracking suggestions there, guys. I mean, look, if you've got any ideas for more people that you think would be on our <laughs> imaginary twinkle early years story time segment, then great. I mean, oh, guys, that would actually be really good. What, do you think we could convince a celebrity to come on the podcast and read a story? Oh, okay. Okay. Let me see what I can do. Also, if you know people that can get in contact with these people, let me know. This could actually be a thing, guys. We could get celebrities on the podcast to read stories. Oh my God. For the kids. For the kids. Obviously not for us. For the kids. For the kids. Yep. 
Okay, right, now that I'm out of my fantasy world, (laughs) I think I enjoyed that segment a little bit too much. Let's get into our main event for today's episode, and I'm really, really excited for you to listen to this one. Charlie Burley is the teacher's health coach, and he talks to us about how we can beat burnout. Now, I'm sure you're probably feeling a little bit like that already. We're getting to the half term, and if not, it's already started for you, and When I was a teacher in school, I always remember that that first half term of the academic year was go, 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 go. And then when that first half term break hit, thought I had a week off, make all these plans, catch up with all the things, but I just ended up being really sick. I was at complete burnout. Sat on the sofa for the whole week. Sometimes I'd have like the flus and the colds and the stomach bugs that were going around. And it's just that half term break is just about recovery, right? It's all about recovery. And just as you're about to recover from all the bugs and the germs, the break comes to an end. And oh, look, you're back to work and it's autumn half term too. So if you resonate with that, I feel you. But Charlie is here to teach us how to beat the burnout with a little strategy that he learned from his friend. I'll leave it to Charlie to explain. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. It's an absolute honor because I don't want to appear like a stalker or anything. I do. (laughs) I have followed you on socials for a while and I love your videos and um, the message that you kind of bring out. So a little bit starstruck today, if if I'm honest, if I'm honest. But before we get into what we're talking about today, please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners and tell us who you are and uh, what you're about. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been planned, hasn't it, for a little while, but I'm, I'm excited. We are prepared. I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, I'm Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach, um, and I work with teachers to help them thrive and not to survive both in and out the classroom. So that's my that's my PR tagline. But basically, I work with teachers who feel a little bit like they've lost themselves, that teaching has taken over, that they've kind of got to this place where things just aren't quite aligned in their life right now and usually it's about their mental and physical health and um, but it can sort of extend beyond that and um, I started out probably about four years ago now um, as a nutritionist I, I'm a full-time teacher as well and um, so I left the classroom about a year and a half ago I would say but before then taught for eight years um, and during that time qualified as a nutritionist and I started a little little company called Forge Nutrition and Fitness and back then I just used to work with teachers on their physical health and it was quite centered around weight loss to be honest and um, because that was what I was kind of trained in but naturally, as you can imagine, it expanded beyond that. And then I kind of drew upon the experience of my own health and well-being journey, which was mostly mental, but some physical as well. I sort of experienced burnout and anxiety, um, was diagnosed with chronic stress from the doctors, these sorts of things. I kind of merged the two worlds um, to create what is now the teacher's team and the Thrive program. So, yeah, that's me. That's what we do. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting time at the moment. That's really cool. And I feel like we kind of maybe left the classroom at the same time. I think what mm. like two years. So how did you how did you find that change, by the way? Is it was it weird as it was for me? It was weird for me. I th- yeah, I tell you what. So I wanted to leave. I intended to leave the summer before. So I can't remember what year that was, but whatever that year was. And then I was kind of twisted, arm twisted into staying and going part time, which was never the intention. And it didn't didn't work out. There was a there was a caveat to it that if it didn't work out, if it wasn't working out by October, I could hand in my resignation and leave because um, they were very understaffed and things. I, I just sort of got guilt tripped, to be honest. So my transition was full time, one term as part time and then left the classroom in January. I'm terrible with dates. Sorry. January 22. It must be January 22. No, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I think that's when I left. Oh, no, it must be January 21. You know what? I can't remember. But it's funny that, isn't it? And that whole guilt thing, I think, is quite intertwined with what we're talking about today like teacher guilt yeah and I think that kind of feeds a lot into what we're talking about so you were a teacher what classes did you teach Mm. so I was primary so I taught um three four five six um mostly five six oh when I was in year six that was when a lot of my mental health issues arose from stress uh, behavior management pressure workload you know, I don't need to, we, we don't need to go through the list of what, mm. what uh, stresses teachers out. Like, I think we all, we're all aware. Um, but that was, that was the period. It was, it was a term in year six, particularly around the SATs. Mm. Um, and it was a massive transition period in my life. Um, around that same time, I split up with my last partner um, of five years after they lived in Africa for two years. So oh, wow. stress is there. Yeah, yeah, stress is there. Um, my TA um, sadly passed away. So she was diagnosed with cancer in the December, then passed away in the June. 
and it was sat, obviously sat season. God. So this was like a, a wave of, of stuff, you know, of pressure um, and of emotional stress. So that kind of all happened. And, you know, clearly it was, it was sort of, you know, burnout central by that point. And yeah, it was, a, it was, that's what led to, there was one poignant moment, a panic attack in glass. Um, and then that led on to doctor's appointments, hospital appointments, being diagnosed with chronic stress. And then the recovery journey after that, um, which then led directly into studying as nutritionist and what we just spoke about. So, Gosh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Quite the journey, huh? Yeah, it's been, it's been a big five years. <laughs> it really has. It really has. Wow. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine what, what you've been through. And firstly, thank you for sharing that with us, because that's obviously something that's really personal. And I want to say it's hopefully something that's unique, but I have a very funny feeling that it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, sharing from my personal experience, I, I've been, recently been diagnosed with CPTSD. So it's PTSD, but complex, literally just mm-hmm. uh, a bit, bit, bit more severe. Um, and a lot of that was to do with teacher stress and anxiety and the repercussions of that. And I can't, yeah, it's just, I feel like a lot of us are dealing with things maybe within work and without of work, but it still impacts us. And the way teaching is naturally, it does kind of take over your life rightly or wrongly. And so if other things happen, it does build up and there are more and more people like you and I who are being diagnosed with mental health illnesses and we need help. And that's, amazing that you've started this yourself you've seen that and you recognize and you're like you know what I'm gonna help so power to you power to you so I want to know then in terms of burnout because we come from different key stages what kind of what kind of challenges do you think teachers have when it comes to well-being and looking after themselves Mm. so I've got like two lenses to look through now which is really empowering for me I've got my own personal experience and I've got all the teachers I've coached over the, the last sort of four years. Um, and of course, the, the teachers that I work with, we've got, we've got everyone, we've got um, CEOs of, of, of multi-academy trust, we've got head teachers, we've got leadership, we've got SENCOs, we've got um, learning support, we've got class teachers, we've got a whole range of school staff. So it's quite nice to I say nice, bit of a weird word to use, but quite interesting to look at the different stresses on those people. Mm-hmm course it, it, you know there are common things um but for me personally being up a key stage two a big one was behavior mm-hmm. um i think you know there was that incident i talked about it when i was in year six was actually sparked by the behavior um of a child who wasn't able to to, to regulate their emotions after an incident in football at break time and that was it for me you know that was the thing that set me off if you like um so for me behavior is, is a big one you know, because we have, we, you know, we might go into it today, but we have, you know, a fight or flight response. You know, we, we talk about that a lot, don't we, when we learn about behaviour with children. But for that to be triggered potentially, I don't know, 100 times in a day is not normal. No. You know, it's not natural. We're, our bodies aren't, our brains and bodies aren't built to be the triggered sequentially and that often throughout the day. You know, we're not, we're not built for it. We need time to rest and calm down from that basically so I think behavior is a big one it's massively massively triggering of course you know but we're all human beings I think for me as well workload was a big one being up key stage two there's a lot of writing so quite often if we had a big write or something like that you could have a stack of 30 I, I usually had about 28 to 32 children so I stack of 30 books with two to three pages in each to go through and, and mark and, and get ready for them to, to self-assess and, and all the rest of it um, and to edit and whatever else it was. So workload for me was quite was quite a lot. Um, and again, we're going to say it's a lot today, but it's all swings and roundabouts because they're also more independent. So could assess certain things themselves and you wanted mm. to encourage that independence. But there were certain things as a teacher, the, the marking assessment workload was quite high. And I think for me, again, being in year six, the SATs pressure was huge. And I can imagine other people, obviously, at other points um, in education will have those assessment points, you know, formal mm-hmm. assessment points. That pressure is is in, it's immense, really. So for me, that that was that was a lot. But like I say, for a lot of clients, there's there's all sorts of things. For my head teachers and deputies and, and assistant heads that I work with, there are local authority issues, and you know, the list goes on, doesn't it? Really. And for my senkos, there's trying to organize the paperwork and get through the bureaucracy and get the support for the children they need so it's i think there's an immense list here do you know what i mean 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of what you're saying, I think, does cross over to early years as well in terms of those kind of pressures, because we have got the end of year um, assessments and just it's kind of like stats, but for the end of early years key stage and it gets yeah. sent off to local authorities, the early years profiles, immense yeah. amount of pressure to get them done, get them right. And that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, in terms of like workload, like you say, swings and roundabouts, we might not have two or three pages of work to mark. And that's just for one subject as well. I bet you've got like four <laughs> different subjects in a day to mark. Um, we'll have observations, we'll mm. have report writing and things like that. But also the physicality, like you say, perhaps maybe the older children have unique challenges in where perhaps they're, you know, getting different mm. hormones, they're reaching that puberty stage and the behavior is slightly different, but when they're in early years, they are not independent yeah. in most things. And a lot of things we have to teach them how to behave as a human being. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But it's kind of like... It's skills, isn't it? Yeah. And the understanding underpins it all. Yeah. Exactly. And completely different skills. And I think pressures for us include just... It's the most important part of a child's stage in life. So 80 to 90% yeah. of a child's brain develops between zero and five years old. So that, just that statement makes you think, yeah. oh, all right, if we get this wrong, literally life lifelong impact and lifelong um, consequences. And that's terrifying as a start. Um, the physicality of the job. We are, I do not sit down. I do not pee. I do not go to the toilet. I do not have a drink. Like as soon as the kids are here, I am on. Yeah. And like lunch breaks are not <laughs> are not lunch breaks. You have I I used to either have lunch with the kids near the kids so that if they needed me I was there, or if I tried to have a break and run away, <laughs> an LSA would find me because they something would happen and they yeah. wouldn't know how to deal with it. So I would be called off of my lunch to go and deal with a behaviour issue at lunch because mm -hmm. nobody else really understood early years and 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 how to you know, manage those children safely and effectively. So you just don't stop. And then because of that, during the day you are on with the kids, you can't do anything else. So everything that you have to do, planning, uh, preparation, assessments, observations, none of that you can do mm. while the kids are there because it's not safe. So I was going into school seven in the morning and I was leaving seven at night, much like you probably were doing all the marking because I had to do work before work so that the day of work could be done. And then I'd have work after work that I couldn't do during work, but I needed that work to be done before the next day of work. Like yeah, crazy, crazy amount. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's Absolutely. so bonkers. And like, I think as well, because they're so young, what really affected my well-being was safeguarding. Mm. And I would literally lose sleep at night and have like you panic attacks about a disclosure or about something that you've noticed about a young child and what could possibly be going on at home and have I done the right thing? Have I notified the right person in time? Have I done this form? Have I done that form? And it, that that was what kept me up at night. Like, are these kids safe? Yeah. Um, and because they were so young, did they know what was happening to them? Could they tell me even if they knew what was going on? You know, are they, it's just, oh, I'm still getting a little bit twitchy, you yeah. know, thinking about it. So yeah, there's there's loads. There's loads of different challenges for well-being for all of us. It's such like what you just said there. It's such just that one example. It's such an uh, an immense emotional stress. Yes, it's so much. And and the way that I refer to stress is a bit like a bucket. Um, sometimes call it the stress bucket. Sometimes call it the capacity cup. It's the same thing. All stress, the way it affects the brain and the body, it all flows into one bucket. It doesn't matter whether you are picking up running and you're starting to get into running yes it's great for you but it's also a physical stress the body needs to recover from like you said a safeguarding issue or a disclosure that's a massive mental and emotional stress takes up a huge amount of capacity the physical stress of being on your feet all day standing up sitting down crawling bending over picking this up like you know early years crazy physicality involved in it right yeah all yeah. of that is stress that goes into one bucket and too often we're so hard on ourselves we say oh, I can't believe, you know, I don't know, it might be something like you're cooking dinner at home, you forget the pizza's in the oven and you take it out and it's burnt. And it's suddenly the straw that broke the camel's back. And it's like having a, a pile of plates up to the ceiling and then someone put an egg cup on top and it all comes crashing down. Yeah, It's not about the pizza burning or the dinner overcooking or the thing that child said to you or whatever. It's about the pile of plates underneath and it's about all the other stress that's already in your bucket. But far too often we're too hard on ourselves and we, we beat ourselves up for that fact. And then we sort of 
expect us ourselves to be able to categorize and compartmentalize our physical mental emotional stress it's not how it works you know we mm. we are one being we we fill up at, you know the cup fills up at once but we're so hard on ourselves we really yeah. are as teachers i don't want to generalize so i'm gonna be very careful today not to do that but typically as teachers we are very hard on ourselves we hold ourselves to a, to an almost unattainable standard every day despite the energy that we do or don't have and it's it's very very difficult it really is and I think it's really poignant that we're doing this episode at this time because this is normally the time that half term is coming up and it's the first half term of the academic year but I always felt I don't know if it's the same for primary and junior but this first half term in early years is the worst like in terms of energy and stress because you know, children are coming in two, three, four years old to their first ever setting outside of the home. And I kid you not, I will have screaming, screaming children until October half term. If I'm lucky, usually it goes on till Christmas because it is such a big transition and it is so difficult for the children that you take on that as well. And I always dreaded the first half term, not because I didn't want to meet my new my new students it was just I knew that this was a process we all had to go through but I knew it was going to be hard and it's especially kind of in terms of the the ratios so at one point I had 44 children in my nursery at least a quarter actually at least a quarter of them were consistent screamers and criers and it's not that I ever disliked the children for doing that never I actually, it broke my heart to see them. And then I had to be that kind of strong front. You put on a front for the parents because their hearts are breaking as well. And I had to keep saying to them, it's okay, just leave. We've got this. We'll help them through this process. It's okay. And then you get to the end of the day and you have got the biggest migraine. You've got a sore throat. You know, you're absolutely exhausted from comforting these children. And I want to do that. I want to comfort them. Mm. But it, it takes a lot. And in terms of like toilet training as well, you know, children sometimes don't come into the settings toilet trained. And that I, I remember once, I think I spent a week not being even able to teach the children because I was constantly changing children who had soiled themselves by accident. And I wasn't prepared for that because the parents would, you know, say that they were toilet trained mm. and they might have been, they might have been and going into a new setting completely throws their routine and they're back to square one. All the parents were worried themselves and couldn't be honest with me about actually they weren't and they, they felt self-conscious mm. and didn't, you know, didn't tell me. So there's, I think this half term and this episode at this time is really appropriate for us because I can imagine that some of our listeners who are listening right now might already be reaching burnout and this is the first mm -hmm. half term of the academic year Charlie and that is not okay no. is it no I think you're absolutely right as well you really really are and I think almost the terms have like a bit of a flow to them uh so speaking to a client the other day and they actually said really interestingly that they felt that the second half term of autumn spring summer was was like the, the toughest bit so they found like the first half of every term okay yeah you have half term come back and almost like your body had kind of checked out and wasn't ready to start back up again. Yeah. And then they said that second half term was really, really tough um, of every of every main term. But I think everyone's got a personal flow to their term, don't they? Do you know what I mean? I think every year group's different. Absolutely. The autumn term, super tough. Super really, tough. really tough. Yeah, yeah. It's transitions, isn't it? You know, us and the children really struggle with transitions you know we don't like change do we humans <laughs> no no it's funny we're built to adapt but we don't like change <laughs> right it's like we're just setting ourselves up for failure here but you know human nature is what it is and you know in the minute we've just been talking about school-based um educators like in early years you could have private settings you go from 7 a.m to 7 at night taking children you know we've got uh, day nurseries child minders like they've got a whole new stress like we in schools at least you know there's half terms and end of terms summer breaks private settings and childminders don't even get that you know so it's a whole new board game so before I even continue this and we keep going down this rabbit hole of burnout because <laughs> it could go on forever yeah you've introduced me to something that I've not heard before called dose tell us mm. about dose yeah okay so dose um I've taken this from um a colleague of mine called TJ Power so I say colleague, he works in neuroscience and coaching. Um, he's actually recently done some work with Joe Wicks, which is really, really exciting. That's cool. Really exciting. So TJ's had that sort of 
very well deserved break now and he's working with joe so amazing absolutely incredible so tj talks a lot about dose and obviously being a neuroscientist he talks a lot about the brain and, and these chemicals so dose refers to dopamine oxytocin serotonin and endorphins dopamine being that reward chemical in the brain and um, we'll go into this in a bit more detail i'm sure oxytocin being the love and connection chemical uh, serotonin being your it's dubbed the happiness hormone but it's almost like a, a precursor for other things but also um a mood stabilizer if you like and then endorphins which are kind of the body's natural painkiller and the brain's kind of natural stress manager if you like so that's dose and those four chemicals are highly um responsible for our mental health um, and I think this is a perfect point just to pause for a second and say, you know, I am not a mental health professional. I am a qualified mental health and exercise coach, but I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a GP. So what we're going to talk about today is going to be very much perspective based rather than prescriptive advice. You know, we're not going to give anyone advice if obviously if anyone's listening who does have a struggle with their mental health in any way go and speak to a qualified professional or a doctor. That goes without saying. Today, we're just here to talk about burnout and, and our experiences and sort of um, give perspective shifts and give some sort of information rather than prescriptive advice. Um, but Dose is amazing. You know, I use it with clients all the time. I've talked to D, uh, TJ about it. Um, he's going to be coming on to... Um, Onto, onto my podcast and to speak about it as well which is exciting if i can get in between his calls with joe it's too big time for me now. It's too big time. yeah uh, yeah no. he's in the big market now mate you, he is, he's, mm. he is. He, no, he's a lovely guy he's really great guy. And, and this system is amazing so he's just brought out an app called neurify which is essentially like a training platform for dose so you and i could get uh, the neurify app and we can basically have like a dose routine created and learn about dose and it's amazing so in terms of what dose actually does dopamine being that reward chemical it's obviously responsible for motivation and building up momentum things that are good for it are things like doing very very small tasks like wiping down the kitchen side making your bed in the morning say you're going to go for a walk and to go for the walk and doing what you're going to say basically anything that is going to stack the little bricks of motivation and, and bring you up the sort of counteract that's not a word counteractants things that counteract uh, dopamine <laughs> let's say the things that will negatively affect it will be things like scrolling on your phone so social media is is not ideal um it will give you a big old hit of dopamine but of course you haven't worked for that reward so do dopamine was essentially has essentially evolved in our brains to get us to get up and do stuff so not good with history but hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago, whatever it would have been, our ancestors would have needed dopamine to go and seek shelter or to find a mate or to go and hunt or something like right. that. Dopamine is your basically motivation. So if you imagine you making your bed in the morning, it gives you that little hit of dopamine, that little bit of get up and go. Whereas scrolling on Instagram or other platforms are available, you're going through, you're getting these little hits of dopamine through the colors and the sounds and, and the, the content you're consuming. But basically you're not working for it. And because you're not working for it, you're basically getting this dump, dump truck load of dopamine, all this reward chemical for no effort. And the brain's got this really interesting thing that it does where, the, and forgive me because I'm not 100% clued up with the brain. So if I make a mistake here, please bear with me. But the part of the brain that receives pleasure and creates pain or, or is the pain receptor are very closely linked together. So yeah. if you do something that brings us tons and tons of pleasure, like sitting around and eating ice cream all day, which is amazing. Like we would all love to do that. Eventually, it's going to make us feel some kind of pain because it needs yeah. to stop doing that and it needs us to go and do the things that are going to make us survive. Okay, this is weird. <laughs> but is this the same as like binge eating a pizza, even though you shouldn't? And then you love it. And then after, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're going to feel awful. And then you do. And you're like, why did I do that? Is that the same thing? A big part of it. It's a very, wow. very big part of it. Um, and of course, you know, with, with like, when it comes to the pizza, being a nutritionist, I'll dip into that bit. With the pizza, obviously, it's a huge meal usually, which is great. Pizza is my favorite food. I will I'll eat pizza. I've just got myself a pizza oven. It's incredible. That pizza will be a high, high calorie meal, quite a lot of carbohydrates, quite a lot of fats. And that's probably going to make you sit quite heavy and make you feel quite lethargic and, and quite overfull sort of thing. 
And of course, that can make you feel quite sleepy and, and things like that. So there's sort of a bit of both, I would say, with something like a pizza. But the, the body is incredible. It will it will get you to do what it wants <laughs> without you even knowing it. So like I said, the, the pleasure and the pain um, parts of the brain are very closely linked together. So too much pleasure, your body's going to start to make you feel a certain way to get you to make a change, pretty much. So when it comes to dopamine, overindulging in pleasure can, can really affect your motivation and get up and go. Why would you bother going for a walk if you've got uber eats netflix and amazon prime and you're lying on the sofa well you don't need anything else you you're fine right you right. you've, you've got everything you need so why would you, why would you get up and go so that yeah. kind of dopamine oxytocin then is love and connection like i said so oxytocin is really really important particularly when it comes to sort of relieving stress so if you imagine we've evolved to to bond to live in tribes to have children to have mates all this kind of stuff and without that oxytocin, those connections wouldn't have been formed. So it's natural when we're with a really good friend and we're laughing and we're joking and they're smiling at us and we have a hug. It releases this huge wave of oxytocin, which bonds us and connects us because that's what we need needed to do to survive. We needed to live together in harmony, right? Likewise, when a baby is born, usually the mother will feel will have a huge increase, huge surge of oxytocin to create that bond with, with her child. Um, so there's, there's quite a few sort of different, you know, different things um, going on with oxytocin. But in terms of stress relievers, it's amazing. You can go home, pet your pet, pet your dog, whatever, um, have a hug with a loved one, share a, share a moment, call a loved one, anything like that. You know, even with the children. And that's the thing as teachers, those those moments where we get into that state of flow, kids are, are, are buzzing and you're buzzing and everything's going well and you're all sharing a laugh. And it's a, it's just a great moment big rush of oxytocin in those moments you get that teacher buzz that teacher flow right and that's that's part of it um serotonin then again is that sort of dubbed the happiness hormone but mood stabilizer precursor to other chemicals and that is all about like i said sort of stabilizing the, the mood so we can eat a really healthful diet about 95 percent of serotonin is created in the gut so we need to have a healthy gut so loads of plants loads of fruits and veggies for that one um drinking plenty of water getting out in nature is great for serotonin that's my favorite one daylight as well really important and mm. um, so if you imagine um, and this is something tj has said uh, before actually if you imagine going for a run or going for a fast-paced walk to a bit of grass or like a green or, or something with friends you sit down, you have a picnic, you're out in nature and you're not on your phone. You're connecting with loved one. That's all four in one moment. Mm. You're getting all of that, all of that dose in there, which is great. Um, and then finally endorphins then. So endorphins are our natural sort of pain uh, relief or stress manager, if you like. Um, and we can get this through intense exercise, singing, dancing, just having a sort of high energy moment and um, really kind of like moving the body, using the voice being very active to an intense in an intense amount that will help us to release endorphins so that's dose in a nutshell um, and i know i've touched on a lot of things there but that's basically how we can use parts of it parts of that model to think about managing our mental health yeah and i think i mean i know i've learned a lot just from listening to this but it's that first step of self-awareness of what your body and your brain is doing isn't it that gets you on that on that road and i think this dose model I think is a really good way to start and be like, right, let's have a look at what I'm doing, those four areas and where do I need help with it? Where, you know, where can I do better? What what support can I give? And I think that's actually a really good starting point. From your experience, what happens if we aren't aware of this and these chemicals and we're not looking after those areas? What kind of what kind of things happen? Mm. That's a really good question. So I think at this time of year, you know, we're going into autumn and this is a time of year where we can see a lot of these things downregulate a little bit. We're now right into the flow of the school year. We're spending less time in the sun now. Now summer's gone. We're spending less time with loved ones because we're so we're so busy. This means that the brain is going to look for distraction. And we're going to be finding our phones in our hand at nine o'clock at night on the sofa. Um, we're going to be finding ourselves scrolling on our lunch break. So we might touch social on social media and devices later. But all of these things start to happen. And just naturally, those chemicals, those neurotransmitters and hormones will start to sort of downregulate a little bit. But the effect of it basically is that when these things sort of start to come to come down a little bit, we do start to feel more lonely. We start to feel more isolated. We really, you know, this is a common one. Oh, I haven't got any motivation. So hang on. Is, is it a motivation problem? Is it a will problem? Or is it a chemical problem? 
Right. You know, if you're overloading on less optimal nutrition choices because you're stressed, you're time poor, you're overwhelmed, you're seeking comfort in food, which is another topic, and you're then scrolling a lot on your phone, you're not getting out in nature, you're not seeing loved ones. And when you are, you find yourself on your phone. You're maybe not exercising or dancing to music. When these things aren't happening, you start to feel a bit more stuck, a little bit more isolated. Your stress levels will, will increase and the resilience to manage those stress levels will be lower naturally mm. because you're not doing these these um, these little things. So I can't remember if that answered your question. Sorry. No, it, it, it really does. And actually, you've touched on a couple of things that I think are important because sometimes it's not in our control, is it? Because mm. like you say, we're getting less daylight now. And speaking from personal experience, I get SAD really badly. So that is seasonal affective um, depression or disorder, where basically it means when it's the darker, colder months in that season, I really struggle with my mental health. Mm. And it's like, that's something that possibly, I mean, I can't control the weather. I wish I could. My (laughs) plants would love it because I could water them when I want to, but that's not the thing. So I'm already aware that this time of the year, I'm going to start struggling in certain areas. And it's just things like that in terms of, you know, maybe that's the answer again, in terms of at least being self-aware for the first part is maybe the first step in making sure that we see those levels for what they are and what we can do about it, right? Mm. And when you feel yourself, and and that's it, when you feel something's not quite right, because we all get it right, you wake up one day and and, and quite often it's, it's sort of middle of the week or actually the beginning or the end of the week, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> you wake up one day and you just don't feel right. Yeah. Like you, you might have slept your seven hours, but you just don't feel energized or it goes on for a few days and it starts to snowball. And you just don't feel right. Right. You feel misaligned. And that's it. There is a there is a misalignment between what you need and what you're getting. And I think that when you start to start to feel like that, that's the point where you question and say, right, hang on a minute. I know about dose. I know about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. Which of those am I maybe not getting? You know, which of those are chemicals and and hormones neurotransmitters are not where they need to be right now what can I do about that and it might be really difficult to pin down which one it is but like I say if you feel very unmotivated maybe it's to do with you need to break your to-do list into really small pieces or set yourself to go out for a walk or or do something you know like I said wipe down the kitchen sides make your bed something that's ticking something off to get a bit of a reward if you feel quite isolated and quite alone maybe it's time to go and seek some company and and to be in the presence of, of, of a real human being. I think like you and I, we're recording this obviously over computers. We're not in the same room. And it'd be amazing if we could be, and it's brilliant what technology allows us to do nowadays, but we're still human beings. We still seek, we need that human connection. And although as teachers, we can be, we can be around people all day, every day, we can also feel unbelievably alone. And when you, like you say, with awareness, when you clock on to something not being right, can you try and pin it down any further? And you might not be able to, and that's fine. If you can't, you can just have a bit of a blanket, you know, dose if you like. Um, but if you can pin it down, you'll be able to decide what I, what can I go and do about it? And I'm a really big advocate of, of just taking the blame and the shame and the guilt away from how you're feeling and just going for the smallest possible action that you can. So if you're feeling like stuck, basically, can I go for a five minute walk? And people always laugh. Like I talk to clients, they're like, why would I go for a five minute walk? <laughs> like, well, if I tell you to go for a 30 minute walk, that's going to feel huge. And yeah. It's going to feel insurmountable. Let's say a five minute walk with your favorite song, even put your favorite song on and walk until it's halfway through, turn around and walk the second half back to the front door. That's going to make you feel better because everyone can do it. And I talk a lot with my team about um, controlling the controllables and essentially, I love this quote, do what you can with what you have where you are. Do what you can with what you have where you are, because everyone can do that. There's no one in the world that can't do that. And it's amazing how this tiny, small action stacking it up brick by brick by brick, particularly with burnout and and managing mental health and stress, the tiniest things can have the biggest impact when they compound. But yeah, another tangent there. Apologies. No, it's not a tangent, actually, because I think that's a really important distinction to make because everybody is unique and everybody is different. So the DOFE kind of acronym will look very different for other people, like for different Mm. people, you know? So it's like, oh yeah, of course we can give some ideas of actions to do to support each of those levels, but it doesn't mean that if you don't do them, you're doing it wrong. Like, and also 
it's okay to have those rest moments and be like, you know what? I am struggling with my dopamine today. I have no will today. And to not feel guilty about that, but to actually just accept where you are. Can you make that small step? When can you do it? Okay. Like there's no, we don't have to be on all the time because that's really difficult as well, isn't it? And also I've learned recently in terms of like things that go on in the body. Like, again, I'm no scientist either, but so when you said about serotonin being 95% in the gut, that is very interesting because I struggle most with serotonin because I haven't, well, now I know possibly that there's a link because I have an autoimmune that affects my gut. Mm. And I'm like, ooh, that's an interesting connection. And I also learned the other day, a couple of my friends have ADHD. ADHD affects the dopamine level. You can't produce dopamine. I never knew that. Mm. I never knew that. Amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. And I'm like, oh, so that's, you don't have any dopamine or your brain, your body can't produce dopamine. That's a symptom of ADHD. And this is why you might struggle with this, that, or that. And I'm like, that is amazing to even be aware of that, that actually we all have all these different things. So even our natural dose levels at optimum are going to be different anyway. And that we're all going to be able to just find our niche and what works for us you know that's it i think everyone's everyone is so everyone's brains are so individual yeah like we can come up with these models and we can come up with like these frameworks and things because it's useful because we can see we we all fit somewhere around it in it out it beside it whatever we can use this as a sort of a structure to work within but i might respond best to going like i love every single morning first thing in the morning i wake up have a glass of water to rehydrate splash cold water on my face and then i try and go out for a walk or a run or something even if it's literally 10 minutes because for me that i can't even put it into words it's transformational genuinely if i wake up and i drag myself into my office and i don't brush my teeth or have a shower or go outside i feel terrible absolutely mm-hmm. terrible and you you know that the direction the rest of the day is going then if we can do these little things, particularly in the morning as well, and this helps with our circadian rhythm, which is sort of our, our body's natural body clock, if you like, which impacts hunger hormones and sleep and concentration and stuff. If we can do these things in the morning, like you say, but as you said, the, the individual things, because for me, that works really well. That walk in the morning works brilliantly. For you, something else might work much better. Exactly. You know? um, so absolutely, it has to be individual, but sort of touched on it there. The mornings are a really important time to think about, you know, dose. They really are. Yeah. I mean, like you say, start the day off right. The rest should follow. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I'm interested to know, because I feel like this word has been thrown around a bit, but when we were talking before and we were having a meeting about this episode and how it would run, you mentioned gratitude and that actually plays a really big part. Now, some of our listeners might go, oh, gratitude. How did you know? And others might wince and be like, oh, God, gratitude. Oh, right. Like this is buzzword. But actually, there is something into this. So how does gratitude play a part in our dose kind of uh, routines? Yeah. I mean, gratitude is huge. I just for context, if someone said gratitude to me two years ago, I would have gone, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't want to offend anyone. Everyone's beliefs are their own and everyone can believe what, what they what they want. I personally believe that at some point in the future, time machine is going to be invented and people always say, I'm very odd for thinking that. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that's there's going to be time travel. That's my weird thing. You do you. Um, that's what I believe. Um, <laughs> so if, you know, someone's it really is into, you know, things like the universe and vibrations connecting us and all that kind of stuff, I don't mean to offend you, but two years ago, that's what I thought gratitude was. Mm-hmm. I thought I would stand there with no shoes on in the field and say, ah, oh, thank you, universe. And suddenly it would, you know, bring me joy and stuff. That's what I perceived it to be. And that was a very big misconception. And, and I, I was wrong about it. What gratitude actually is is a really, really simple, basic practice that increases that oxytocin and allows us to feel calmer, more relaxed. And it also allows us to support the positives. Now, I'm not talking like toxic positivity. If you're a teacher or practitioner listening to this and you are tired, you're exhausted, you're fed up, you're stressed, and I say, oh yeah, just look for the positives, you're gonna wanna give me a slap, right? Rightly so. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not talking about toxic positivity because things are really, really tough. What I'm talking about is neuroplasticity. So it's what you do every day, it's what we do every day. We rewire the brain. We, we help people make new connections in their brains. We, we help people to learn, right? And gratitude is just doing that. So the practice of gratitude is essentially identifying things that we are obviously thankful for, positives from our day, things that we've done well, things that we are proud of, anything that gives us that sense of 
achievement or belonging or thankfulness, if, if that's a word. That's what gratitude is. It's basically drawing your attention to that so that we can get that hit of oxytocin and serotonin and feel calm and grateful and thankful in the moment, but also to rewire our brain and to start to look for the positives day to day. There's some also, there's also some really good research out at the moment that shows that practicing gratitude before going to sleep can aid sleep and can actually help you to wake up essentially in a better mood. So gratitude isn't just saying thank you for, I don't know, a sunny day or something, but that, that could be one. It is a really deep practice and it, it works on a neurological level, not just on a spiritual level, if you like. And I, I didn't know that for, you know, for a long, long, long time before I, I did, you know, did my qualifications, before I looked into this kind of stuff. I had no idea that it could impact us that that profoundly. But it, but it makes sense, right? It's kind of goes part, some, part and parcel, sorry, with our confirmation bias. So our brain has a confirmation bias. It will look out for things that we believe to be true so to confirm our own egocentric bias, which is about everything being about us and us being right, basically. So... If you were to go out and you were to go for a walk and you saw 20 pound on the floor down a certain road, you go, oh, great, 20 quid, brilliant. You know, look around, doesn't belong to anyone. Maybe I'll have that. Maybe I'll give it to charity, whatever. If you walk down the same road the next day, without even thinking about it, your brain is going to be scanning that floor for another 20 pound note. Yeah. You never picked up a 20 pound note before in your life. You've never been down that road, but somehow the brain thinks confirmation bias kicks in and goes, oh, there could be another one here. And it tries to confirm that bias. So this ties in with gratitude. If you're constantly looking for the wins, looking for the positives, even when a situation is very, very testing, look for the lesson. Mm. It's, it's, it's like a superpower. If you can look at a challenge and say, right, what's the lesson here? Yes, this has really affected me and I feel really not great right now. But once you can get yourself out of that pit, what's the lesson here? That's another way to sort of practice and um, look for those lessons. But all of that is drawing your attention to the positives. And that's all it is. You're learning to confirm and to and to get your brain to almost auto scan for the positives in the day. And just by focusing on those, it allows the brain to focus less on the negatives. The brain's like a spotlight. It can't focus on everything at once. So if you're sort of purposefully focusing on the things that are going well, the things that you are grateful for, that's going to allow the brain to, to hone in on that and, and less on the other things. And, and, and again, I know there's probably someone listening to this going, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I promise when you get into bed tonight or even better, let's habit stack it when you're brushing your teeth. So pick something you already do and stack a new habit onto it. When you're brushing your teeth, when you're tying your shoes, when you get in the car, anytime, try and pick a time of day. Ask yourself these three questions. What's gone well today? What am I proud of myself for? And what am I looking forward to tomorrow? If you can ask yourself those three questions, do it for a week and come and tell me that you don't feel a little bit more positive. I promise. I think we're going to set that as a challenge on social media. What do you reckon? I like that. We'll tag us. We'll, we'll come up with a thing and we'll tag it and we'll do a little challenge. It will really, really help. Yeah. It sounds, and this is the thing, it's the little things consistently done, isn't it? It sounds so insignificant. It sounds like some blokes just said it on a podcast, not going to do anything. <laughs> Try it. Give it a go. Honestly, I challenge yeah, what you. What are you going to lose? What are you going to lose if you do it? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And I think those three questions actually bring something very important and very unique in each one. So the first one, what went well today, it's bringing you back into the present. And I think that is really important because as early as practitioners, there are so many things that you have to battle at once. You have to prepare for this. You have to think in the future. You've got to do, you know, we've got to be aware of so many things of where we're going to get to. Like, oh, I mean, from the beginning, all right, so this is where they are in terms of academics. Mm. We've got to get them over here. And we're always trying to think ahead. And that can be so overwhelming. But having that question of, right, let's bring it back to the present, being in the present moment, I think is a massive point of that. The second question, what am I proud of myself for? It, I think gratitude also has a lot to do with self-worth and mm. self-confidence because I really struggled with this before and be like, oh, barely just got through the day. Like don't even, but that lack of self-confidence and self-esteem has a massive impact on what you're grateful for because guess what? You can be grateful for yourself. Mm. And then you know what? You should be because you are there standing in front of however many kids and they are depending on you every day 
And good on you because that not a lot of people can do that. And you have to really kind of sit yourself down and be like, you know what? We're here. I'm here. I got this. I made this. And that is a really difficult thing to do. But asking that question gets you on that start, doesn't it? Of being like, you know what? Yeah, I can do this. I do have value. I do have self-worth. And then the last one, I think it's quite hopeful. Mm. It's actually, you know, we do have to look into the future. What am I looking forward to tomorrow? It's, It's setting that hope. Yeah. And that, you know, that gets you through sometimes. And sometimes just that little bit is all you need. 100%. And that's a really good point. A lot of people, when it comes to gratitude, and of course, if you wanted to tag a fourth one, I I love triples and threes and stuff. But if you wanted to tag a fourth one, you could just have the blanket, what am I grateful for? You could do that as well. But when it comes to gratitude or what you're feeling proud of or anything, our instinct is to not make it about us, which is very strange because I just mentioned that uh, egocentric bias, which makes everything about us. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, we don't. We look to other people because, like you say, self-belief, self-worth, these sorts of things. You know, try to make it about you. Not all the time, but our gut instinct, our sort of inbuilt response is to make it about somebody else. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful for that person covering my break. Oh, I'm proud of little Johnny's progress in here. I'm, what was the other one? <laughs> um, what went well today? Oh, this lesson went brilliantly. Um, like the chil- Or even better, the children did really well in this lesson. Great, great, great. But what about you? Mm. Like You are instrumental in all of those things happening, but you haven't mentioned yourself. You haven't made it about you. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or whatever. Or a British um, thing. Do you not think you know, it's a British thing? Could be a British thing. <laughs> could be a British thing. I mean, we're willing to stand in queues for hours on end. So, you know, you never know. <sighs> Um, <laughs> we, we don't like it to be about us and we're almost being brought up or taught to not make it about us don't be don't be an attention seeker that's the one don't be selfish don't be this that and don't make a fuss that's yeah it, you know and, and we're basically taught to serve others all the time which is great and it's brilliant and it's why a lot of us do what we do but make it about you and it's not selfish i love the phrase self first not selfish so when it comes to any kind of well-being health anything like that it's self first not selfish I know it's very cheesy, but it's the old uh, put your air mask on first, your oxygen mask on first, etc. I know it's cheesy and it's thrown around as a quote a lot online, but it's so true. Especially in a teaching profession, because we are putting other people first on the daily. So in terms of being putting ourselves first, sometimes it just it's just putting that balance back. We're not putting the balance. We're not going out of balance by putting ourselves first. We're actually just making it more balanced because 90 percent of our time we are putting others first. So we just got to remember that we we are also included in that. Mic drop. I love how that ended. <laughs> I love it. No, this is great. And also speaking of putting you first, I'm going to put you first now, Charlie, because mm. uh, it's the end of the episode and we want to get to know you. We're going to put you on the spot. We're going to quiz you. We're going to get to know you. You've got to make some decisions on a teacher. Would you rather teacher edition game? Are you up for it? I'm up for it. Let's do it. Right, let's do it. I'll try not to judge you on your answers. But you can judge me too, so it's totally fine. So, classic teacher question, would you rather tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. Oh. Every time, coffee, every time. I think, I mean, you can get lots of different teas. Mm. You know, you can experiment with different teas and you get some very nice posh teas, can't you? But coffee is something about it. It's that first sip, isn't it? It's that yeah. first kick of like, oh, caffeine. <laughs> I can function as a human. You don't get that with tea. I don't. Well, I don't. don't. I don't feel that with tea. And no. I think with coffee as well, you can get different blends. You go to different places. You know, you go. You go on holiday. I mean, I've never been to Italy, but I know the coffee in Spain is amazing. I can imagine in Italy, it's even better. <laughs> you know? It is from personal experience. It's cracking. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> I know. Sorry, but it's brilliant. You should go get an espresso from Italy. Whew. Set for the day. Has to be done. Yeah, coffee for me. (laughs) I love it. I like it. All right. Question number two. I actually think it's a really important question because like you say, in terms of nutrition, we're never demonizing any foods, right? Mm. It's important to love all of them and have them in balanced way of looking after yourself. But we are allowed to indulge ourselves from time to time. Mm -hmm. So I want to know in your in terms of indulgence, would you rather a homemade pizza or a homemade burger? With my new pizza oven, it's got Oh, it. is it one of, what's it called? It's an uni. That's the one. All of my friends have got an uni. Is it really all it cracked up to be? It really is. Oh. It really is. I am I know, I'm sorry, but it really is. <sighs> so so it, it was my 30th birthday present in December, last December. So 
yeah it was it was a saver saver upper put yeah. it that way but it was a present and it was it's amazing didn't get it out till the summer so i've made the most of it oh i love it i love it okay what's what's your like go-to toppings on your pizza then oh obviously tomato base cheese um pepperoni um red pepper a little bit of spinach to finish it off maybe some chicken sometimes mushroom mushrooms and red onion if i'm feeling a little bit fancy oh obviously being a pizza oven you have to you have a pizza pan you have to kind of zhuzh it in do you know what yeah. I mean? you have to whack it in at some some force so sometimes if you have like sweet corn on there it just goes flying just, goes flying. Fire. <laughs> just, get, just gets uh yeah torched at the end so sometimes the the the, the fewer toppings the better Sometimes. yeah oh i love those toppings i'm hungry now maybe not the mushrooms though i'm not a mushroom fan no no but, oh yeah a bit of spinach a bit of pepperoni a bit of chip done okay oh. lunchtime's coming up so <laughs> i'll try and make this quick <laughs> um for our third question this is kind of yeah looking after ourselves, i guess and picking from worse no the best of two bad things i don't know we'll see what happens but would you rather be banned from using your phone for a year or you're not allowed out in the sun for a year oh right i've just spotted a loophole i don't know if i'm allowed a oh, loophole let try me let's do it so obviously i've got my laptop or a tablet oh yeah is that allowed or is that too too much of a loophole it's too much of a loophole you're not allowed yeah 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 no tech so it's very difficult i need technology for my job oh, oh yeah <laughs> so that's a problem um but if we take that out of the equation i think i think i'd need the sun i think i'd have to give up technology because you can read, you can listen to music, you can entertain yourself, you can go for walks and everything like that. Not having the sun, I think I would come out at the end of that year and just be a not very happy chappy, I don't think. I'm so with you. Like, ironically, yes, I also need technology for my job, you know, being a marketing uh, mm. manager and <laughs> living on social media. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, but no, I would happily give that up because I think also because it's my job, as soon as I finish, I'm like, right, I'm done. Like I need me time. I'm, I'm, I'm quite an introvert as well. So I like having my own space. I've just come back from a holiday in the Lake District and I wasn't, I, there's no Wi-Fi. Oh. Four days of no contact with the human race. It was bliss, it's Charlie. It's like solace, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it was really grounding. And like, for me, the sun is really important to me. Like, especially having SAD. Mm. I know I'm, I, I get visit, I get visibly and emotionally affected by that. But going on walks, going in the sun, just having that br- breath in my garden with all my, <laughs> with all my fruit and veg plants, which I'm obsessed <laughs> with. Um, that for me is like my lifeblood. Don't ever take that away from me. Phones, tech, shh, humans, goodbye. I'm good. The sun, no, no. <laughs> the sun. You're your houseplant. Your houseplant. It's. <laughs> I am. We're just very complicated houseplants, aren't yeah. we? I like it. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Charlie, uh, for coming to chat to me today. It's been it's been really fun and actually quite uplifting. A lot of heavy stuff, I think. Mm. But I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. And there's loads of things that we can do to help each other and help ourselves. So if our listeners want to learn more and find out more about what you do, where can we find you? Yeah. Um, so I spend most of my time over on Instagram. So it is, let me get this right, the.teachers.health.coach. <laughs> Lovely. All one word wasn't wasn't available. Um, <laughs> uh, Facebook, I think it's something quite similar. If you just search Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, I'll come up. Um, got the podcast, the Rewriting Wellbeing podcast. I think I'm probably on Twitter. I don't really use it. Um, LinkedIn, I think as well. Don't really use it. So Instagram and the podcast, I would say. YouTube. <clears throat> yep, that one as well. I'm on there. I am on there. <laughs> There's too, <laughs> many, to cool There's too many to remember. There's so many. Yeah, no. And you're coming up with some really exciting projects. And I actually really like following you on Instagram because you just do those little tidbits on your stories. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's a good thing to think about. So good. And you always go on loads of nature walks too. And I'm like, yes, a fellow nature walker. It's always good. outside. Oh, yeah. it's great. Do it while you can, while it's it really muddy and gross and cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Charlie. And Thank I'll you. hope to speak to you soon. Thank you very much. See you soon. great thank you so much charlie i really feel i learned so much about my body and body chemistry and you know how to really look after myself on a biological level and to get those needs sorted out first if we don't care for ourselves on you know a 
physiological level, then how are we supposed to look after the rest of us, right? So I really, really hope you took some inspiration and ideas from this episode to help look after yourself this half term. And every day, really, isn't it? It's not just for the half term, for all the time, because, you know, being an early years practitioner is really physically and mentally challenging, and we need to look after ourselves, right? Not just for the kids, of course we want to look after ourselves to be the best for our children, but for us too, right? We are really important and we deserve to look after ourselves. So I hope you've taken a lot of things away from today's episode and I can't wait to see you again for another one. See you soon. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to join in or would like to know more, then come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook page, Facebook groups, an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. All the links of where to find us will be in our podcast description. Come and join the conversation. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you have a great day.